Hey folks, this is Jeff here. Just a little note before we begin the show. Uh, we recorded this prior to the news that broke on Tuesday night that UCF would be hiring, or is expected to hire, former UCF quarterback Darren Hinshaw as the new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Uh, we have a story up on Black and Gold Banneret about that, so I just wanted you to bear that in mind before you start the actual show. We'll talk a little bit more about the hiring of Hinshaw and any other news on football in uh, our next show after this. But until then, enjoy this one. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon with you here. We've got Andrew Glukoff, Stat Boy Drew in the house. We've got Bryson Turner in the house. Hey, listen, Happy New Year to everybody. Hope you enjoyed our uh, Mike Kruzek podcast. We're kind of like easing into the new year a little bit with this one and, and uh, with, with that show. And then this one kind of being like a part two to that because, you know, normally we post the show later in the week. But we're going early in the week to kind of review UCF football for 2022. <clears throat> after the uh, the after the military bowl, and we're also going to update you a little bit on hoops, but not too much. But uh, Drew is here, Bryson's here. Let's go ahead and uh, get started. Make sure you follow us, UCF Banneret underscore SBN on Twitter, also Black and Gold Banneret on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. And uh, guys, let's uh, let's dive on in with our sort of uh, now that we've had a few days to digest. UCF football, the um, uh, the 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 anger and rancor has hopefully worn off somewhat. I don't know if it has online just yet, but anyway, um, we got a poll out there on our uh, on blackandgoldbanneret.com uh, or blackandgoldbanneret on uh, Twitter, and as of right now, it's still up there. But here's here's the question. 22 UCF 2022 UCF football guys here's here's what we're looking at finished nine and five six and two in the conference second place in the American we beat Cincinnati at home we beat Tulane at Tulane in the regular season we won the war on I-4 I know how important that is however UCF lost three of their last four games uh, including the American Championship at Tulane. Granted, second, you know, sp- split in Tulane. Lost the bowl game to Duke. Um, and so how do you evaluate UCF football's season? We put it out there. And the results as of right now are pretty interesting. We're leaving this up there for a few days, but 153 people have voted as of Monday afternoon. success, 47% failure is what they're saying on this season. Um, My theory on this is I think people are way too, or people's judgment is clouded by the end, how how the season ended. And when you step back and look at what UCF was able to do, we did outpace our preseason expectations. UCF was picked third in the conference, finished in second. Had a chance to win the conference championship game, but didn't. But you know something? How, how would everyone feel if UCF had lost the game on a uh, on a on a field goal at the end, as opposed to how UCF lost actually lost the game? Um, UCF actually had a better 
uh, season overall than uh, last year. I know that the win the win percentage is different, but you played one extra game because of the conference championship. Um, if you throw the conference championship out, UCF finished nine and four, which is the same exact record as last year, and we beat Florida in the bowl game, who was six and six coming in, as opposed to Duke, who was a better team in the bowl game this year. Um, you know, and it's it's funny how bowl games do affect how you evaluate the season at the end because it just leaves it a loss kind of leaves a bitter taste in your mouth, a win you kind of heading into the offseason feeling a little bit more positive. So I start with you, Drew. How do you evaluate UCF's 2022 season? It's last in the American before joining the Big 12. Well, I I always look at it as, as you know, how do you do compared to the the competition around you? Uh, you know, as you said, selected third originally. Uh, and it's second. Nine wins is never a bad year when you look at the grand scheme of things. I mean, the last thing you want is to create, as I say, create your Frank Solich moment <laughs> where Nebraska fired Frank Solich, who was the man who followed the man, uh, you know, following uh, Tom Osborne after yep. a nine win season. And karma has been biting them ever since. They had yep. a couple blips here and there, but for the most part, had been massive failures ever since. And then he spent uh, 20 years at Ohio and actually had a pretty successful run there. Yeah. And I, I mean, he he ended up being like George O'Leary was to UCF. He he rode he rode in Athens, Ohio, until he was ready to, to call quits. Uh, but the other thing that isn't being mentioned is the recruiting class of 2022 at the time was the best for one of the best recruiting classes UCF has ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's on the field and there's off the field that all part of the same season when you when you kind of look at it. so i i like to look at the successes of it i like to look at what what did ucf do right they recruited well they're they're, they're improving that they're able to use the upcoming big 12 affiliation as as fuel for that they they beat better teams than they did in 2021 you know too late uh, better team than than any team that they've beaten. Cincinnati, mm -hmm. better team than any team that they beat in 2021. And yeah, there was a bad loss against Navy, uh, much like last year. It was a bad loss. And, and sure, the bowl game didn't go well, but here, here's true. Bowl games are glorified exhibition games. They really are. They always have been. I mean, hell, it wasn't until 1968 that the AP poll actually crowned a national champion after the bowl game it was always done before. And then it took another five years for the coaches poll to do that. They, they would crown the championship before. So the bowl game was literally an exhibition game. So, I mean, we got to take it for what it is, you know, sure. UCF didn't look, didn't look great. They, they struggled. Uh, the defense looked out of sync early on because you had so many new pieces in, but as the game wore on, they got better and better mm -hmm. and better. And you have to be excited about that. Sure. 30 to 13 doesn't sound good, but you got to be excited. These guys got extra practice time. They got time to start jelly, getting ready for the next season. This is about looking forward at this point. Uh, you have to smile walking out of this because there's a lot of good things looking forward on this team. Granted, they're in, in they're going to have to grow up real quick and get you know improve real quick when the step up in competition but you can't help but feel encouraged by what you saw from these young freshmen 
you know, the, 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 you know, the Henderson brothers, you know, uh, Lee Hunter, you know, Nikai Mark Martinez. I mean, these are young, young cats who are doing yep. good things uh, for this program. Plus with the news that Jason Johnson's coming back, he's the lead tackler. Big I mean, win on that one. By you're, way. you're seeing a lot of good stuff. So uh, I, I think a lot of it is, do you look at things glass half full or half empty as a, as, as a person? And I think that's going to dictate whether you look at, the successes of the season versus harping on the failures. Cause yeah, there were failures. The close of the season, one and three, not good. Um, there are people who are hung up on the quarterback issue, uh, which uh, in my opinion is a very flawed argument. You know, Oh, if, if like you can start, we would have won 11 or 12 games. One, you can't guarantee that game game plans change incident, you know, freak things ha- can happen injuries. You know, you, you don't know. Uh, then there, there's always the the the, world, the chaos factor of any team can win any game on any given day. So you know you don't know if that would actually happen. And you know go to the the other timeline and, and see. And if, if you know if they ended up with eight or nine wins, perhaps they're calling for a quarterback change there. Uh, so I mean I I don't buy the oh if we start another quarterback blah blah blah. You got to deal with what's in front of you. The only quarterback issue I have a true issue with was the handling of Tommy Castellanos's red shirt. That was a failure of this year, a massive failure, in my opinion, on this year. But you have to weigh the successes and the failures. I think the successes outweighed the failures. And that's why I, I voted in this poll and I voted as a success. Uh, Bryson, what's your take on this? So I like that Drew said, are you a positive or negative person? Because I, you said the results of the poll are interesting. And I think that's a major part of why this result is so just so as close as it is. I also, and I actually did not vote. And you can look on the, on that Twitter. I just said a bit of both because I, I think that I, I can agree with you in that I do smile going into the 2023 season. I, all right. I think this shows, promise for that i think everything that indicated that we saw this season i think indicates a generally positive direction going into the big 12 with a recruiting class that gus has had they still have to have time to develop the henderson brothers look good we'll have jason johnson back i think they'll be able to regroup very well going into 2023 that i will not argue on with that 2022 from from the from the beginning of the season up and from the fall around then Till today, I think it's going to I think it's going to be a very, very close, but I am going to say that it's a quote unquote failure in that you could have done of all the money that you left on the table. I'm going to use the analogy that UCF left money on the table this season, and I think that the feelings of feeling like that is valid. So and and now granted, overall, still good we did do better than expectations the problem though in my opinion is is sort of like this you go into a casino a casino you have a hundred dollars that you're going with okay you do you do some games you end up getting you end up getting two hundred dollars and you're like oh wow okay so you're playing I'm, with house money i'm having a good day right but then you lose say 70 50 75 dollars and you walk out of there with only 125 150 dollars and you're like well dang i could have walked out of here with 200 dollars 
So it's one of those things where UCF could have easily walked out of this season with $200, which is the hosting a conference championship game, maybe hosting college game day, maybe winning the American Athletic Conference Championship had they not lost a game that they really should have won in in Navy, which they had lost to the pre- lost to them the previous season, and I can understand why that game is extremely frustrating. I'm sure people are still a little frustrated that ECU, out of all the things, ECU is the one we lost to, and the fact that we beat Cincinnati, Tulane, and SM and SMU, who were ranked higher than us in the preseason expectations, I think gives the impression that we really should have won those games. So it's one of those things where you do some great things. And you do some not so great things and there isn't really that much of a middle ground. And so people take the negative side because if you did all those really good things, you really should have been able to pull off those ECU and Navy wins, especially the Navy win, which could have, again, allowed the hosting of the conference championship game and all that. And then everything spiraled from there. So feeling like this season was a failure is valid, but I think overall it's still good but I think feeling like a failure is still very valid. If only you can say like, look, things are going to get better next year. So don't look so be so dour about the program in general. You know what I mean? I, I got to play a little devil's advocate on, on the whole East Carolina thing. Cause I know that's, that that's an area that a lot that, that fans are going to harp on because that did cost UCF college game. Day. I mean, East Carolina is, was one of those teams that could score 50 points one day and, 10 points the next yeah very Jekyll and Hyde team although to be fair they did finish eight and five this year um by the way Louisville who UCF lost to in the second game of the season also finished eight and five this year Mm -hmm. but yeah but but look they had a one point loss to NC State to open the year uh you know they they obviously took it to to UCF they lost by two to Cincinnati they curb stomped uh a, a a coastal Carolina squad in in the bowl game uh, that that lost their coach but didn't lose their star quarterback uh, so I mean this is a team that and and they beat BYU away right after the mm-hmm. game against UCF so uh, so I mean this was a team that that was very back and forth uh, UCF just caught them at the right time and, and it goes to show how ill-prepared the players of uh, of UCF were against a road team in a real road game because that was really their first real road challenge. And that was the end, almost the end of October. Yeah. Uh, that, that was, that in itself is a different kind of thing. I don't think the East Carolina game itself is the thing. I think the, the preparation of mental toughness towards that was where the failure came into play. What one thing I did want to bring up here. And I think it's interesting when we look back at the, the final analysis of the schedule, Remember the stretch that we talked about where UCF didn't leave the state of Florida until October 22nd, right? Which is that ECU game. Which was that ECU game. And in those first six games, UCF was five and one. The only loss was to Louisville. They play, the Knights played five of their last seven on the road. Uh, And that doesn't include the bowl game, I should say. Five of their last seven on the road. In those five road games they finished three and two um and of course one of them was the south florida game and then of course you talk about the duke game which was obviously a neutral site game but i think we almost have to kind of count that i i almost kind of want to count that as a road game because you're not playing in the state of florida travel there there wasn't a real there wasn't really a 
the atmosphere like we would have had for a for a, a bowl game within the state. Um, and they lost that one too. So, I mean, I could argue, and, and obviously, you know, Duke fans would be like, well, then it was a road game for us too. And I get that. Although Raleigh, Raleigh is closer to, or Durham is closer to Annapolis than Orlando is. Let's just be honest. Um, and they're more used to that, you know, how cold it was that week. I just think it was, you know, the fact that the back half of the schedule was so yeah. Southwest airlines, notwithstanding good point, Bryson. Um, the back half of that schedule was so loaded with road games that it that 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 played a factor into how UCF finished the season. I think that I think that 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 played into how tired the team was because they looked tired at the end of the year. Well, I the, but the, the the truth is you you play the schedule in which you're given. Yeah, it's true. It, and you know that that conference championship game at Tulane was uh, of their own design. You know they. They're 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 you know stumble. I mean, the reason Navy why it was in New Orleans was you lost one home game against Navy. You're right. Yeah, and, you know that that's that's the they they made that bet. So, uh, you know, you you have to you have to accept that that truth, and and you look at the first game against Tulane, the second game against Tulane, and and it's hard when you play a team twice. Look at TCU yeah. in Kansas, especially State. on the road. Yeah, I mean, you know, TCU and Kansas State's a good example. I mean, you play a team the second time, the advantages you brought the first time aren't there anymore because they know you. And it's harder to win that game, even if you're the better team. And and as, as we know, TCU is the better team at versus, as opposed to Kansas State. Uh, that was the case where the better team didn't win the game, but better team doesn't always win the game. Uh, you know, UCF's a better team than Navy. Navy won the game. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's hard when you play a team a second time, especially in their house. Uh, they have all the advantages going in. They got the chip on the shoulder from the first loss. They've got the home court. Uh, they, you know, they've got everything going for them. And it's it's always hard to break momentum on on a road game. And and while it was conference championship game, it's still a road game. It's in their house. Uh, it's not like what we'll see in the Big Twelve, which is going to be a true neutral game. Uh, at, at Jerry World, so I, I think that's part of it. Is you know they they kind of made their own bed, and then they 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 were handicapped having to play a road team, uh, a game on the road for the second time. Let's talk about the quarterback situation. Uh, John Rice Plumley has one remaining season left. Tommy Castellanos is the ostensibly the heir apparent, uh, but Timmy McLean is also in the mix. Uh, Dylan Rizek is planning to come in as well as a freshman. Um, how, on a scale of one to 10, Drew, how confident are you in the quarterback situation heading into spring practice? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm going to give kind of like a six and a half. Uh, you know, as we saw, uh, John Rice Plumley is, is a run to set up the pass kind of quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not, he's an athlete. Yeah. Uh, you know, He's an athlete first, quarterback second. You know, throwing the ball is not his natural state. And there were times where he looked real good, and there was times that he did not. You know, that that consistency hurt this team. However, what made up for is the fact that he was a he was a running back at all times behind the line of scrimmage. And even when he was coming back from his hamstring injury, he still was a threat to mm-hmm. to tuck and run. He just didn't have the same explosiveness, and that that materially hurt this team at the end of the year 
uh, when you know they were blowing him out at USF. Uh, he gets hurt, leaves the game, the wheels fall off, and things just start going wrong. Right. Uh, there was you know big shift there, and then it took a miracle out of a couple of, of receivers to save that game. Uh, so uh, you know him, and plus you know the other thing is going into baseball, you you have to unlearn and relearn because your throwing styles are different when you play baseball versus when you play football. So is he going to be able to deprogram and reprogram from one sport to the next and maintain? what he needs for, for the season that, that opens the door for McLean and Castellanos. Uh, I think, let me give, um, let me get, I'm sorry, sorry, Drew, but I I wanted to get, I wanted to give at least a little bit of context on Plumlee right now, because 63% passing 22,586 yards, uh, 14 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 862 rushing yards, 5.4 carry another 11 touchdowns. Um, you know, I know what you're talking about with like baseball coming up and he does plan to play baseball this spring, deprogramming and reprogramming, but I don't, I'm not sure I buy that quite a bit because to me, JRP is like a full-blown athlete. You know, he's not as specialized as, as, as you would. Now, if he was more specialized, I could see where you're coming from. Well, it's a mental thing. It's a mental thing. Uh, yeah. It's not, it's not physical. So you have to, you have to, it's all mental. So you have to, you have to kind well, of. It's a little bit physical. Well, no, I mean, well, the physical comes from the mental. Uh, if, if you're, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you know, mentally work to reprogram your body. Uh, and, and, and that takes time. You know, we saw early in the year where, where he had some struggles uh, with his accuracy. And part of that was, you know, you know, in camp and whatnot was because he was yeah. relearning the position. Well, I was going to say, like, how much of that is actually the fact that he was being that he was actually playing quarterback for the first time in three years? I mean, it's part of it. It's part of it. But but you're, you're going to run into part, you know, to a lesser extent, the same trap where, you know, you're in a different sport. You know, the way it operates is there. it's not like when D Brown played baseball and football. He wasn't a quarterback. Uh, he was a running back. So so obviously the demands are different. Uh from one to the other. So it, it really falls on him. Can, can he rise up to that challenge of being able to, to switch from one to the other and maintain uh, a good enough, you know, technique and accuracy to, to keep the job. So it, it's mm-hmm. going to open the, especially in spring practice, it's going to open the door for the other guys, uh, McLean, Castellanos uh, to, you know, to, to, to get a chance because he's going to be focusing on baseball. You know, I, I can't see him being able to do both really well at the same time that that's going to cause problems. So uh, I think it's going to be a focus on the other quarterbacks in spring football and spring practice. And that's where you're going to really see a possibility of separation. Uh, as we saw uh, this year, uh, Castellanos' red shirt was, was mismanaged, mishandled. It was burned. Uh, for nothing it was burned for nothing uh got really no return on investment on it as a result and now he comes in as a sophomore and and he's he's got to you know he's got to have the game slow down from but the the progression from freshman to sophomore is you know it's normal for a freshman to have the game be too fast for you and as we saw in the conference championship game the game is still too fast for him that mental maturity 
the physical uh, growth that comes at the same time with the strength and, and conditioning program, that game's going to slow down during the off season. So that fr- freshman to sophomore development will be huge, but it's not uncommon to see a quarterback make that jump from, from, you know, very timid, tentative freshman to more confident sophomore. Uh, we've seen it multiple times. So uh, he'll get his chance. He'll, he'll get his chance if, if, if he wants it. Uh, what do you think, Bryson, about the quarterback situation? Are you, are, are you still feeling like heading into the spring, JRP is, he's the guy, you, you know, is, is he the leader in the clubhouse right here? Or do you think there's going to be more of a competition? I think it's going to be more of a competition. I, I'm with Drew on that. I think look, John Rice Plumley. it's clear that he is a likable person. I think that if the, I think that the players will fall behind him if they have if he wins the job. The real question is going to be, will he win the job? And I just can't say for certain he will, because, again, he will have his attention on baseball. That is part of it. But there's also the fact that one of the reasons that we that we all kind of knew that John that Gus was going to go with John Rice Plumley from the beginning of the season is because he is the person on the offense that fit that, that fit his his style of offense better. Now he but but he's now had a whole season with Timmy McLean and Thomas Castellanos where they can learn his offense. And so John Rice Plumley I think feels a lot felt a lot more like somebody who came in already knew what the knew what was going on and that way they could let Timmy McClay and Thomas Castellanos come in and then and just let them do their thing mm. and let them develop and let them learn now that that JRP is going to be going to baseball they they also have a chance to learn in spring practice and I think that will give them a chance to really adjust to Gus's offense and then it's going to be a much closer competition because when John John Rice Plumley's stats were were solid this season but they were inflated I think by a, a lot of the lower opponents like when you look at him in the bigger game Louisville Cincinnati Navy and the Tulane games they leaned a lot more on his on his rushing and his passing wasn't as good and so that let the de- and basically that kind of let the defense really hone in on that. And that's, of course, where Tulane went. And that's how Navy got us. So I think that now that JRP is going to be going to baseball, we're going to see development from Castellanos and McLean. And then it's going to be a wa- more wide open competition. Now, th- how- will this divide the locker room? Who knows? People do like Plumley. He's a very likable person. But I think that if Timmy McLean or Castellanos, you know, show that they can succeed, then Gus will, then Gus will go with them. So who who really knows at this, who really knows at this point, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people realize. Uh, Let me flip over to the other side of the ball real quick. Drew, the defense in the first eight games allowed 17.6 points per game. In the last six, they allowed 31.7. What happened? Uh, well, I mean, you 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 dealt with with injuries. Uh, uh, the loss to, uh, of Quadric Bullard tend to be uh, actually was a bigger hit than we probably anticipated, uh, and that that correlation may closely line up to where uh, he got knocked out, and uh, you know because he was one of the leading tacklers mm-hmm. on the team. 
So that 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 played a role, and, and guys just wore down. Uh, then you also have the t- the the backloaded road schedule. You know, teams are going to play better at, at home, and UCF is a really good home team. Well, others can play at home too, and and do pretty well. And UCF started started you know running into that trap. You know, you you played you know Tulane, you played uh, you know you played a rivalry game, which weird things happen in rivalry games. I and mean, that that game against South Florida, you know when when Plumlee was was in, things were just humming in the first half, and then the you know he pulled out because of, uh, of his his leg, and the wheels fell off, and it took a miracle to walk away with that win. I rivalry games are weird. Uh, you almost have to write them off as as their own category. You know, it doesn't matter what your record is; you're both coming in at zero and zero, because anything can happen. And, and and we saw that in real time. And that, that mm. was, I think we lost a few years in our life uh, because of it. Uh, and then, you know, you, you go to the bowl game and, you know, UCF's lo- lost a lot of depth. You know, they're playing, they had three corners on their two deep. Three. I was it. Yeah, I, I, I was not nervous about them playing. I was nervous about someone getting hurt and, uh, and having to find someone to step in. Luckily there were, you know, the injuries, where we didn't have a problem uh, on the field when it came to injuries. Uh, Duke came in at full strength and, and people were like, Oh, you're making excuses. It's not, it's not so much make excuses except establishing what is what's reality. Reality is UCF had a number of players out because of early draft or transfer. Duke was playing at full strength. So you, you, you have two different teams, two different dynamics at this point coming in. And results show Xavier Townsend, you know, young guy, handled the ball more than any receiver on the team. He wasn't supposed to be starting. That was Ryan O'Keefe's spot. He was he was in. So Ryan O'Keefe was supposed to get the ball that many times. And yeah, Townsend has a lot of potential, but we saw he's still got room to grow as opposed to a seasoned veteran like Ryan O'Keefe. So I, uh, you know, the offense struggled, led to some situations that the defense had to deal with, especially, you know, that late, that that one touchdown with the short field after the failed fourth down. Um, so I, I think the defense did fine at the end of the season with the young guys coming in. It's just you're going to get hiccups when guys start getting hurt, worn down, and you play that heavy road back end of the schedule. Interesting. You know, I almost forgot about the, you know, when Bullard got hurt. Um, which game was it? I think it was the... I think it was that Memphis game, wasn't it? Uh, I'm not 100 sure on that. I, I have to go back. Know, I, I just know it was it was into the second half of the schedule, and and after that, product productivity went down. Right. Uh, but you know, he was a from a defensive back uh, defensive back standpoint, he was the best tackler on the team on the mm. defensive backfield. So you you lose that that's material. Uh, you know, Kobe Perry did a uh, did a, a great job stepping in. But Quadric Bullard was a starter for a reason. I mean, you can't okay. you can't replace that. So let's let's wrap this bit going in right now. Well, do you see? So let, let's let, let's let's talk about this in terms of Bullard played in seven games this season. By the way, yeah, it was yeah, it was the Memphis game that was his last game, but he only had four tackles in that game. I'll have to go back and look and see exactly when he got hurt. But um. My question to the both of you, and I want this to be kind of rapid fire real quick, is heading into the Big 12. We got TCU playing in the national championship game. All right. And obviously, we don't know the schedule. We're hoping to know it by now. Then Texas and Oklahoma did their thing again. 
But the trend line for UCF, UCF heading into the Big 12, in a positive direction, flat, in a negative direction, where do you see it? Drew? Uh, it's positive direction. Uh, there's still a lot of work to do, but it's definitely a positive direction. You're, you had your best recruiting class last year. 2023 is looking to be even better. Uh, you got you got some really good four-star guys come in. You flipped players from you know schools that would normally take your players. Uh, I this there things are looking up, and, and it's gonna, there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be a a, a grow a growing period that that you just going to get smacked around a bit. No doubt about it. But I mean, you can't help but be positive on the trajectory of this program uh, to even where it was two two and a half years ago. Bryson? I'll say also a positive direction. I think that it's going, it, it, I, and I think we're going to, UCF's going to have to take their lumps, but we're still not in the position where Gus Malzahn's like, you know, first really good recruiting, recruiting class like that 2022 recruiting class is still only going to be sophomores. So I think that we're not really going to see the real big fruits of Malzahn's recruiting labor until 2024, maybe 2025. So I think it's going to be more we, more along. We're going to have to wait until then, and then we'll, we'll see potentially UCF could do really, really well in the Big 12, maybe in those two years. But for 2023 purposes... I think we just it's nice to get just get settled into the conference, get to know everybody, you know, kind of get to know everybody. Uh, if we get Cincinnati and Houston on the schedule, beating them would be very nice. But I think it's about just getting used to the Big 12, getting used to the Big 12 opponents and getting yourself ready for what the Big 12 is going to give you. And maybe we might have a good season. Maybe we won't. Maybe it's going to be just like this season where we maybe we do better than expected, but then we have a stumbling block and then people are going to look like, oh, it was a bad season. Who knows? So I think but I think that next season will be a, will be a lot better because at least now we're going to be in the Big 12 doing what we're doing instead of being in the America. Can I make one real quick point, too? Um, people have been saying, you know, as we've been evaluating the season, well, the American was weak this year. I don't buy that. Seven of the 11 teams in the American finished above 500. You know how many teams out of the 10 in the Big 12 finished above 500? Five. Five, half the Big 12 finished above 500, whereas seven out of 11 in the American finished above 500. And I know competition's different. Okay, I get that. But... My argument here is the conference wasn't as weak as everyone thought it was. Um, And I don't think you can say that it was weak because Tulane won it. I I think that's, that's where people kind of make the mistake. It was, you know, like as though Tulane is not allowed to have a good season. Right. Um, You know, who were at the top of the league? It was, you know, it was Tulane obviously won it, but then right after that, UCF, Cincinnati, SMU, Houston exactly who we thought would be there uh, in that top half of the conference. So I still think this was a strong year for the American. Um, And uh, strong year in that, you know, in that, you know, it's a group of five strong year. Tulane is never going to, it was never going to get consideration for the college football playoff, but no, but, but, but as we've, but as we've shown national championship game, right. But as we've shown, you know, it UCF 
wasn't considered for the college football playoff after winning 25 consecutive games. And Cincinnati wasn't considered it until they had their second consecutive year of however many wins in a row. And it was an off year for everyone else that enabled them to get in. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't think that that's, you know, I, I think actually the American was weaker the year that Cincinnati made the playoff. As opposed to, um, as opposed to this year, I think that the conference was a lot stronger overall. I, I will argue that from top to bottom, I will, I will completely agree. I think I will agree with that. The American was a lot stronger overall. That really wasn't my point when I was saying earlier, my main point is that in the big 12, from a year in to year out basis, UCF has a chance to make it into the college football pl- college football playoff is kind of what I'm talking about here. Oh, that's I, correct. And I think that's the mere fact that they're there. Would, yes. And I would take a bad season or a relatively okay season in the Big 12 than with in the in the sense that at least we had the chance with the schedule we have even Kansas has a chance to make the college football playoff if they can make the, if they can make it to the Big 12 championship and they were horrible before Lance Leipold so yeah. at all you need Andrew is a favorite chance. head coach Lance and all we need is a chance and we're going to start getting those chances in the Big 12 it's going to take a little bit before we can take advantage of those chances because we have to get to know everybody but the chance is there and i think that's what a lot of people should really kind of take solace in and and with this conference transition and now that we're finally going to go there we're finally going to get it all right so we'll wrap it up from there um we're going to have some more content coming out over the course of the month as we kind of wrap up ucf's 2022 football season um and i think we're heading into an era in the big 12 of that that will be positive will be interesting to see how the schedule shakes out you know First of all, what does TCU do against Georgia? Boy, those semifinals were great. Really great semifinals this year. Um, and Sonny Dykes, man, one year. SMU to TCU has them on the cusp of a national title. Um, and then here we come, along with Houston, Cincinnati, BYU. We'll see what the schedule shakes out with Texas, Oklahoma. Um, ostensibly leaving after one year, but we don't know that for sure. Um just a lot to a lot to discuss, a lot to talk about going forward as we head into the offseason in 2022. And that's our hope to kind of break down what we saw from uh, this, uh, or heading into 2023. I can't believe it. 2023, man, as we head into uh, this offseason. So uh, let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll get Kyle in here to talk a little hoops. UCF giving Houston all they could handle on their home floor. Um, and we'll also talk about the women's team as well as they head into conference play as well stick around black and gold banner podcast back after this we are back here on the black and gold banner at podcast jeff sharon with you along with bryson turner and joining us now for this segment eric lopez elo is here student of the game kyle nash is here and i just wanted to uh some news broke in between when we recorded segment one and segment two and i wanted to get these guys takes on it matt lee has announced he has entered the portal Unexpected, uh, although it should be noted, Lee was here for four seasons, so he has ostensibly been here enough time to collect his undergraduate degree and still has two years of eligibility remaining. I think if it weren't for the COVID year, this would be considered a graduate transfer, but he has two years of eligibility remaining. Um, Nonetheless, a blow to UCF's offensive line for sure. Um, 
not to mention the, the guys who are graduating. And Kyle, I wanted to get your take on this because you know this better than anybody else on the staff, I think, is, you know, Lee was a um, was one of the stalwarts on that front. Sure. Uh, and has been for quite some time. Everyone remembers the bumpy start in that game against ECU in the COVID year, but like, but A, that wasn't his fault. And B, since then, he's been one of the best centers in the American. He moves on now. Um, where does this leave that group of five guys? Yeah, and let me build on that too a bit, Jeff. Like during uh during 2021, his sophomore year, where uh Kalia, after Kalia Davis got hurt, Gus Malzahn oft referred to Matt Lee as the best football player on the team. Okay. So I know a lot of people out there are cheapening. Oh, Matt Lee is just another lineman that's leaving. Who cares? You're dumb. Flat out, full stop. You're wrong. Matt Lee is a big loss. It's, it's unfortunate. And I don't fault him for leaving, you know, this day of NIL I've, I've, I, we as a panel, I should say this show has always been pro mobility within the college football ranks and NIL and transfer portal and all that. But hold uh, on. I don't think you should, I don't, I don't think we should blame this on NIL. I just want to be clear on that. Oh yeah. And we're not blaming this on NIL. Right. We're not. I'm just saying in general, as, as a, as a crew, as a show, we've always promoted that mobility. We've had no issue with it, but from a football perspective, this is a big deal. I mean, now the only real returner in Jeff's going to correct me when I get his name wrong again, Lokahi Paoli is going to be, the only guard, only lineman, really returning, as I understand it, right? Because Swoboda's Lo, off, I believe. So Lokahi yeah. Paole. No, it's a okay. So I got closest <laughs> than I have. Lokahi Paole. I could I could get his first name right, but the the, the Paole, you know. But it's see, but, but, <laughs> it's okay. is broom. It's okay. I get paid to do that Hawaii. anyway. So it throws it's me okay. off, and I don't want to call him a broom, and it gets awkward. Anyways. I went through the same thing on media day, Kyle. Don't you, don't you worry. You're not alone. Um, that doesn't help me, Bryson, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but seriously, from a, from a football perspective, uh, the center is a pretty essential piece. He's the guy up front. That's actually calling the protections. Everyone thinks that the quarterback pointing at a linebacker and saying 55. No, no. Any adjustments, any shifting, any of that is, on most teams, this one included between mm -hmm. the center and quarterback and all that taking place. And you have to have that communication up front, front and center before anything else, literally every play goes through him and the quarterback. Right. So yeah, just from the fact that he's a talented football player, from the fact that it's yet another bit of beef um, that UCF is uh, losing in a time when they need more than ever. It's, this is incredibly problematic. Why is that Kyle? Why? Why? It's funny. Oh, we're going to a conference, aren't we? The Big 12. Uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where guys average 290 or 300, you know. Here we go. But that, but that also assumes that UCF won't be able to pick anybody up in the portal who can fill that spot with the size that we're talking about, though. Right. The portal can giveth just as it taketh away. So as Gus 1223 has constantly told us here on the Black and Gold Banneret through Priest Jeff Sharon, but, uh, but with, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't mean to imply that they can't refill it. All I'm trying to say is now the cupboard's even more bare than it was. It's going to make it a more arduous task. Eric, I know this is like, you know, I mean, let's let's call this what it is. It's a major concern. How how insurmountable a concern is it? Put it to this way. Kyle, you have any eligibility? You could play line. <laughs> really? 
I got bone spurs on my See, knee. Now. Guys, it's not going to happen. Eric's like the sky is falling. No, look, this continues what has been a disappointing finish to the football year. It's been a disappointment. Going back to the Navy game, which you and I were at, Kyle, and I'll give Mark Daniels credit. I was listening to his show on Monday, and he said it best. It's fitting that the season ended in, in Navy because that's where the season unraveled. And, of course, the season ends at Navy at the bowl game. Um, it's been a lousy last couple of months with on-the-field performance, departures, and, boy, they got a lot of work to do this offseason to get to the Big 12 uh, you know, the one positive from this season is you find out what your holes are going into the Big 12, and boy, there's a lot of holes they got to fill. Uh, can they fill it? Yes, some of it, but Kyle, so fix an entire offensive line, basically, replacing it in one off season. that's a big ask, it's isn't huge. it? It's a huge ask. And yeah. I mean, listen, Lukahi, to his credit, has the right temperament. He has the right level of talent to be a captain, to be an anger, uh, anchor. Uh, for all intents and purposes, to be what would now be, <laughs> granted, not having playing a sixth year, but he's the new Sam Jackson, right? He's gonna be the yeah. he's gonna be the guy that's that's gonna be uh you know the the statesman in the room. The problem is, at least Sam Jack had Matt Lee and Lokahi in place. Lokahi's not even gonna have uh that same level of how you say veteran presence, right? And I know they got some guys that are returning. Um, that are on the roster, but nobody that's seen significant field time, certainly not as a starter. Um, and all of that's incredibly problematic. Now, there are other position groups where I think they're pretty solid. You know, they're running back core, even with Isaiah Bowser gone, looking forward to that. They're going to have to help in protection. The tight end part of the room, depending on how things shake out, I, I don't know how, many, how much change is going to happen between then and now, but the names that are on the roster today aren't bad. The receiver core, somehow absorbing O'Keefe's departure feeling pretty good about it based on the names that are there today you know the portal will giveth and taketh away and you know Bryson will have to update the tracker many times I'm sure between then and now but offensively you know the the I think it's easy to say the quarterback situation and the offensive line are the only ones I'm super worried that's, about. that's kind of important Kyle <laughs> It's going to be the two most important positions. No, I, yeah, and, and then I, I'm glad you said that the way you did. I'm not meaning to cheapen it, but there are some places where this squad is power five. Right. right. Now, here, let me ask you this, Kyle. From a, When you're replacing a brand-new offensive line, is the bigger challenge run blocking or pass blocking? Always pass blocking. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it, it, here's the thing. I say that because offensive linemen always want to run block. You know, it also depends on the, on the style of, of player you get. Um, if you're looking to fill up beef and, and and concentrate more on size rather than somebody who's a good athlete, because we all want both, but assuming you'll get both is very tough. J.J. Watt isn't born every day from a defensive perspective, right? So if you're looking to, to, to if you're looking for that guy who's big and a good run blocker, you will sacrifice a little bit of agility. If you get that guy who's agile, he's not moving a power five defensive tackle, defensive end out of the way. So, and that, and that's the, that's the tough part when you're weighing any bit of recruiting for an offensive line. I think even Drew would have my back on that one. So yeah. a couple of things that I wanted to talk about with the, with the, the postseason as well, as we kind of wrap up on the 2022 football season, uh, a couple of developments. Number one, TCU has made the national championship game mm -hmm. and will play Georgia regardless of the result. That's still a remarkable, 
year for Sonny Dykes, and it shows you how good TCU is. Um, and uh, in addition to that, uh, Tulane on the second came back from 15 down with four minutes to go to beat Southern Cal in the Cotton Bowl. I said I said this yesterday. I was like, you know, on one hand, that kind of makes me feel better about the fact that we split two games with Tulane in their stadium. On the other hand, it makes me feel like, man, if we had only gotten past them, we might have been able to run over, around, and through that porous USC defense. My God. Um, do the, how do those two developments uh, factor into your analysis of how UCF performed this year and what things look like next year? Eric, I'll start with you. Uh, as far as the TCU thing, I think that's probably the blueprint if you're UCF, but although I think everybody needs to calm down about TCU, can we stop acting like they're some Cinderella? They're not a Cinderella. They're a power five team that's been in the big 12 that it's underachieved. They remember they fired Gary Patterson because they felt they underachieved and Kyle, you even said you felt they should have been in the playoff in 2014. So this is not like some program like this is not a Cincinnati this is not a UAB situation so let's well hold hold, yeah. hold up there hold up there mister I love big I love big brands and I cannot yeah. buy um the, <laughs> the uh let's let's talk about the college the participants in the national championship game since the playoff started all right I'm yeah. going to read you some name the following names all right Ohio State Oregon Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, LSU. Yeah. What conference are, is TCU in? Those are the those are the six schools that have played in the in the national championship game. Those are all big time, like legendary football brands. TCU. To I don't think credit, Oregon is. I disagree on Oregon. I think, I think Oregon. Oregon, is, Oregon I think. and TCU are about the same. Honestly, they're, I mean, Oregon is so well wanted that the Big Ten doesn't even want a piece of it. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Down down below Oregon. Here's the most important thing TCU is in the Big 12. That's what matters, which is the second best conference in the sport right now behind the SEC. How about that? That's the significance of that. And that's not good news for UCF. In fact, I think it's good news for UCF that potentially Oklahoma and Texas are being negotiated to leave a year early because I want two teams less in this conference because it'll make it easier to compete and get to a bowl game. Because to me, for UCF next year, the goal for UCF next year is to get to where Kyle Nash has been. And that's the cheese it bone. I'm not being funny about that. No, I'm smiling. Kyle, you, Kyle, you saw Oklahoma got in a six and six. Yep. And I watched that game. You covered that game. I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, Oklahoma might destroy us. <laughs> and they're not that they had a tough year. So if you're UCF, your goal yeah, is to get to six. Their worst year since 1998. Oklahoma. Yeah. And they look pretty good. So if you're UCF, you got to get to six wins to get to bowl eligibility next year to get you to the cheese it bowl. I do think that's the goal next year. Uh, so, but to do that, I, 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 this big 12 is strong, man. It's strong. That's the big take there. And and that's, that's an interesting point you make, which by the way, I'm, I, I either put this in a chat or I tweeted it out. I hope I put this out in the public, but I don't think so. Cause somebody, <laughs> somebody would have complained at me, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a heck of a note where we're talking about meeting expectations and all this and you know, how six wins. So what you're trying to tell me is that UCF fans will be disappointed about the fact that they're about to play in the stadium they used to play in 
to get into a bowl game that they hadn't been in before. Well, I think one of the positives of this year is it's going to lower expectations for next year, in my opinion. I think that's what it's going to lower. As far as the, T- the, 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 the Tulane game, Kyle, you and I called it. USC was a fraud. They were a fraud. And the fact and the fact the fact they were a win away from making the playoff tells you what a sh- what a joke the sport is that USC was in the mix to make the playoff cuz they're terrible. Well, they have no they have no away, defense. Not a lick. Uh, none. Okay, we've seen all. several good teams with bad defenses. Okay? Yeah, that's why because the, the sport and, is mediocre, but that's a whole other story. I so mean, the, as much as you talk about Oklahoma, I know you're going to acknowledge that too. Man. Agreed. Agreed. Oklahoma was a lot of t- who got to the playoffs through the Big 12, uh, through uh, the Big 12, which is the good news for UCF. This is why if you're UCF, you're making this move because the Big 12, it's easier to make the playoff in the Big 12 than it is to the American. So you're saying so, Eric. You're saying Tulane is weak, and they should have just yeah. Played. It's a it's a it's a nice story. It's a it's a nice story. Good for them. It was their year. Awesome moment for them. But I'm not, you know, it's I wouldn't read. It's an exhibition game at the end of the day against a very mediocre USC team. And honestly, if I, it, it it really I don't well, like bring power it up. five is strong with you, man. Oh my no, God. I tell you, ah, this game didn't not a, matter. In all seriousness, not a good day for the Pac-12. USC exposed by Tulane, and then Utah got manhandled by Penn State. That is, Good luck. Have fun at Amazon exclusive contract Pac-12. Good luck. Look, yeah, no, Eric, and, and, look. I, I mean, yeah, I'm glad you brought up Penn State, too. That was embarrassing. Go ahead, Bryson. Didn't <laughs> I was just going to say, look, Tajay, Tajay Spears, I believe in his Oh, head. he's a great player. He's competing on Sundays. That's who Oh, I agree. Listen, USC. we've, we've argued. Good. I agree. I, I wouldn't discount USC's defense. I think Spears is just that no, good. I, I, no, I no, no. USC's defense is bad. But Spears is legit. 17 carries and four touchdowns and, last night. That was that was really something to watch. And also, Michael Pratt, kudos to him for stepping up when he needed to because he was not exactly having the best game, and then he carried on that last drive. Well, here's the well, bigger the bigger the big winner at all that, Mike Oresco, who gets the last laugh yeah. because because Tulane is now established. You still got SMU that's recruiting well. We'll see uh, how that goes. I, well, you got Memphis is still. Is, hold on, Eric. Is Tulane established here? Yeah, Pratt's it's coming been back. One I mean, year. Yeah, that's well, but that's what that what's where, that's all it takes. And, and here's New the thing. This is this is the fr- they're the first AAC team to win a New Year's Six Bowl since UCF, right? UCF, that's right. Right, but that's good for them. They'll probably be a preseason top twenty-five team next year. Tulane uh, has been upward twin trending too for the most part since Willie Fritz came aboard. Let's be clear yeah. about that. Yes, I right. know. They, they were two. They were two and ten last year, though. Jeff, settle the heck down. Hold on. <laughs> uh, other hold than on. Uh, other than that twenty twenty, uh, excuse me, that two and ten record. But keep in mind, every coach that came up to playing them, and you could call it coach speak if you want. Nobody wanted to play Tulane. Right. There was a lot of games. If you look at that schedule that were within a score that were very close we have this conversation all the time they were this close for being this record versus two and ten they may have put that on the schedule i know you're a guy who 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 goes by the gospel of somebody who said you are what your record says you are tulane is proof that that platitude is trash because that was not a two and ten team no they had some bad luck and i think they had some good luck this year so it kind of evens itself out and when i mean established they're more established than any school in the Sun Belt. Any school in CUSA, any school in the MAC right now, like they're going to get the benefit of the doubt over any of those schools. And no one knows that better than UCF, who got a lot of benefit of the doubts the last couple of years, including this year when we were ranked in the top 25 when we probably shouldn't have been. So uh, good for them. That's good for them and good for Mike Oresco because the American has separated themselves 
from the group of five, and they're going to be fine even with the departures of UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati. I know that disappoints some people, but they're going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't doubt that. Uh, you know, I, I I've said it before. I think that the way it's set up right now is that the the group of five is now going to be a two horse race between the American who's in the pole position, and on the outside of them is the Sun Belt because of. ESPN's TV contracts. Well, I, mean, I, really I think there's a gap, but I think there's a gap. A oh, there's a, gap. oh, there's a gap, oh, but that, yeah. but there's there's the American a, a gap, the Sun Belt an even bigger gap, and then everyone else. The Sun Belt can keep shooting for those Cure Bowl championships, though. They got that going for them. I mean, you know, <laughs> it happened this year with Troy. It happened last year with uh, <laughs> the year before with Coastal. Listen, I mean, hey, props to congrats, props to Alan Gooch. He was the only bowl game to set up two conference champions in a matchup. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I did write about that. I, I read it. That's why I got it for you. They got got it from. Bing. All right. We're going <laughs> to right, uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about hoops and wrap it up. It's Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. We're back here on the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast as we uh, wrap things up here on this uh, early week show. Um, kind of wrapping up the football season we wanted to touch upon basketball and let's talk about that UCF men's basketball team guys because um they took Houston right to the gates uh on uh, just before the, just before the new year in Houston number 3 team in the country and uh UCF was a 15 and a half point underdog in that game uh, and uh, ended up losing by six, had the lead in the second half, just couldn't quite get over the hump. So they're now at 10 and four, one and one in the league um, and head to East Carolina on Wednesday uh, at 7 p.m. at Mingus Coliseum uh, to hopefully get back above 500 before they come back, uh, before they come back home on Sunday, the 8th for SMU. But I don't know about you guys. I was really impressed with the rebounding performance for UCF against Houston. Uh, even in the loss here, I just wanted to look at the rebounding numbers in total. UCF had 37 total rebounds in this game, 14 on the offensive glass. They were rebounded by four, um, but those offensive rebounds, I thought, kept them in the game. Houston had 19 offensive rebounds, and uh, the Cougs also shot – 37 and a half percent UCF shot the UCF actually outshot them 38.9 and shot 85 percent from the line I tell you the free throw shooting has also been keeping this team in a lot of games it, you know has been winning some games and also keeping them in the games that were close but certainly kept them in this one but how do we evaluate this one uh, uh, uh Eric because you know I, I mean we've seen enough moral victories in the course of our lives right but this one felt like, hey, this, this, there's something about this particular team and the chemistry that they have together that will that that looks like it can carry through conference play. That was a tough environment that they played. And they yeah. were not phased by it. Nope. No, they were good. I mean, they were down 64-61. Ethiel Horton has a shot, three-pointer, corner, open, missed, normally hits. 
they were, you know, back and forth. I mean, you wondered, you know, because they were down early in the first half. They were down double digits. You're like, oh, boy, this could get out of hand. But they didn't. I thought they actually played well offensively, better than I thought, because I had concerns about this offense. Uh, but they executed well against one of the best defenses in the country. I mean, Houston's a legitimate national championship contender. I think there's a very good chance when Houston comes here at the end of January that we can make an argument that Houston will be the best team that's ever played at Addition Financial Arena, ever. That's even how good better, they are. Even better than the Memphis teams. Memphis, remember, played, uh, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, well, uh, in the old arenas. When the old Derek arena, Rose. they they had the, yeah. the, the pre-Derek Rose and the Do- Joey Dorsey and company. The one that came to the this current uh, arena was the, I believe, the Tyreek Evans Tyreke version Evans. of Memphis, mm-hmm. which I think this Houston team is potentially better. I think they're a Final Four good. And UCF played well. Look, UCF played all well. It's not like this was just a fluky one game. They were a b- bad break, lucky bank shot away from beating Missouri, who just wiped out Kentucky, and they're ranked in the top 25. Mm-hmm. They were a basket away from beating Miami, who's in the top 15 in the country, and it's once again an ACC championship contender. Uh, they beat Ole Miss. They beat Oklahoma State, who nearly upset Kansas over the weekend. So this team has competed against good competition already this year, and they've been rewarded. They are 51 in the net right now. Uh, they are. They have made Joe Lenardi's next four out. They're not the first four out, but they're the next four out. So congrats on that Moving list. <laughs> but, but this team has an identity defensively that they haven't had since 2019. Yes. And they have – variety offensively Kyle you brought it up earlier in the year they're not dependent on one or two guys offensively we saw that Horton stepped up in the second half in the Houston game Darius Johnson could score Taylor Hendricks could score Brandon Suggs is a six man can score they have some different variety CJ Kelly I forget they have different ways of scoring that they haven't had the last few years Kyle oh yeah and then that when you know DJ needs to take a break here comes here comes Jalen Young doing his job. I got to give that the JUCO transfer his props because he's always performed when he's had to play big minutes. It's it's an amazing feat. And by the way, no CJ Walker yet in the lineup. One can only imagine how much of a different that may, difference that may or may not make. But listen, it's it's actually the antithesis to what you were saying throughout last year, Elo, and that they couldn't. This team doesn't really find a leadership. They don't they don't find a focus. This team doesn't need to do that. This is what we were promised in last year's team by Coach Dawkins, and I mean no offense to him when I say that because we're getting it this year. Jeff comes out saying, I was impressed by their defense, and they're really good on their free throws. A Dawkins team that's get on defense and hits free throws. Mind-bending. No, I joke, but yeah, this is what Johnny Dawkins was looking to deliver um, last year. We definitely got it. This year, it also helps that we have a, a kid off in the starting lineup that's been that's been what the freshman of the conference for five weeks of the season. That that doesn't hurt matters any either. In Taylor Hendricks, of course. Yeah, I, I mean, well, I wanted to look at some of the stats that they had here, and, and just to put these things into context. Eric, you mentioned the defense, nineteenth in the country in scoring defense, giving up only sixty point four points per game. I, I think that might be the best that we've seen in the Dawkins era. Uh, if not, it's definitely right up there with the taco one. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, 84th in the country in free throw percentage. Okay. Uh, 22nd in the country in field goal percentage defense. They're allowing teams shooting just 38.7, 
percent, and they're tied for 39th in the country in offensive rebounds per game at 12.71. Yeah, I would say that those are the best numbers that we've seen in those categories since Taco Fall was here. And Partly he single-handedly, correct. almost single-handedly, brought those numbers to bear. Well, and I've talked to Coach Dawkins about that uh, when I filled in on the radio side doing post games uh, for the radio broadcast, and I asked him. See, there's a cheap plug there, Kyle. You were supposed to do the <laughs> bait. Thank you. Um, he acknowledged this is the deepest front court he's had. I mean, you mentioned C.J. Yeah. Walker's out, but they've had other guys step in. But they have depth. I mean, Young can play the point and the two because of, you know, with Darius's injury earlier in the year. Uh, so they have more length, more width. Uh, defensively, I think that's helped them there. So, look, I think this is a nice team. It's a good team. Now, they got a lot of work to do. You got to go to East Carolina. The problem is the American is kind of down, uh, not as quality of a depth as it's been in the past. So you, they're, you're not going to get the quality wins, quote-unquote, but you could certainly get some bad losses that could hurt you, and that would qualify this week with East Carolina. That's a dangerous game. UCF historically has not played well at East Carolina. Remember yeah, last year? ECU is 10-5 and five this year, by the way, Eric. Sorry to interrupt, but they're 10-5. Yeah, 10-5. And five. Their net is 166. And that's the problem. That's the problem. So you have to carry this over to me for this team to have a realistic shot of the NCAAs. You can't have slip-ups, too many of them. And you're probably going to have to finish third or fourth at top three in the league. But, look, there's a lot of promise with this team. It's a fun team to watch. Uh, you can go back to the Wichita game, which you and I were at, Kyle, and you were at, Jeff. You know, they didn't they couldn't hit a shot. Every shot just the rim was unkind that night, but they found a way to win with defensively. And let me just say this. Darius Johnson is a pleasure to watch. He's a kid that will is a winner. Like he found a way in that Wichita game when no the shots weren't going in. He was determined, I'm gonna go to the free throw line. I'm gonna get points that way. And he helped win that game down the stretch against Wichita. That's an advantage I think UCF will have here is they're gonna have one of the best point guards in the league each night, every night in Darius Johnson. DJ did the exact same thing against Houston, by the way, going for six for six. And he was matched up with arguably the other best point guard in the league in Houston with Sheen. So that was a great matchup. Yeah. On the other side, I wanted to talk about the uh, women uh, who are at nine and three. They finished up their non-conference schedule uh, against uh, Texas Southern 92-67, took care of business in the way that we expected them they would. They now head into conference play starting – we're recording this on Tuesday. That's tonight against SMU, 8 p.m. That game will be on, excuse me, ESPN Plus. And, uh, you know, know, again, we've talked about, you know, the schedule and how much time they're going to, this team is going to need to gel. Uh, Bryson, I want to start with you. You were at that Texas Southern game. Where is this team right now? Their their net is number 127 uh, as they head into conference play. Right now they're uh, among the leaders in the country in offensive rebounds per game themselves, they're six in the country in that category uh, and 13th overall uh, in rebounding, which is always good. I mean, that's what you want to see from a team that's, you know, at least that, you know, is in the state that they are where they're where it's, it's a bunch of people, you know, that they almost had to throw together. Um, but what, what do we see might be some of the stumbling blocks here? And what do you think might benefit them as we head into conference play against SMU? Well, one thing that I noticed against Texas Southern is they actually had a very, a little bit of a hard time defending the three at first. The reason why Texas Southern was actually able to hold on for as long as they did early on in the game was because they allowed some three pointers early. There was one uh, woman, they had Micah Gray, who got 33 points on them that night. 
um, Coach Messer said that they were focusing on other players, and that's what led to, to her kind of getting the yeah. night that she had. She, but she couldn't her, miss that night. Like, that was really. Oh something. yes, and they were without their leading scorer, by the way, who was one of the leading scorers in the in the SWAC as well. So the I, I think that the defense definitely could use some work, especially in the early going, because Texas Southern was really hanging on early on in the game, but. They did manage to make to you know create separation later on, and thanks to by the way, Nay Hutton absolutely went off in the fourth quarter. She ended up finishing as the team's leading scorer with 22 points off of the bench, but like almost all of her points, I think 12 of 15 or something like that, came in the fourth quarter alone, which was absolutely insane. I talked uh, afterwards to Nay and Rachel Ranke. And Rachel said that this was something that was in her this entire time. This was only her third game since she started this season because she started in the Christmas Classic after being hurt for a little while. And, you know, we mentioned how this team has been hurt pretty bad over the beginning of the season. Coach um, Coach Messer said this team was fight. These were they were fighters. Despite all that, these teams, this team has been fighting through that adversity. And now we have one player back in Hutton that really showed us what she can be capable of when she's able to really click it into gear. And in that fourth quarter, we saw what she what she was capable of. And then, of course, Desto, Destiny Thomas is being all reliable like she is getting her seventh double double of the season. She's one of the the uh, one of those country's leaders in double doubles, if I'm not mistaken, she or at least close to it, so, getting 11 rebounds and uh, 13 points. So as long as she leads those offensive boards and really leads the way in that category, I think this team is going to make some noise with the conference. They just have to really lean into what their identity is. As of right now, UCF is actually the only team in the American that hasn't played a conference game. Uh, you know, right now you have uh, South Florida is 12 and four. Uh, Tulsa and Wichita State are at 11 and three. Tulane's at 10 and four. SMU's at nine and four. And UCF is at nine and three overall uh, right now. So, um, Kyle, I wanted to get you in on this too. It's it, it, there are a lot of unknown quantities. I think aside from South Florida, at least as of right now in the conference, where do you see this? The, the, where do you see UCF in the as things shake out, at least in the moment? I mean, I think UCF has a good opportunity to at least compete for the conference uh, 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 championship, if not outright win it. I, I mean, the way that Coach Messer has restocked this pantry is something special. And, you know, no offense, Bryson, I hear how shocked you are by Nate Hutton. Bro, I've been trying to tell you since I was at the Christmas Classic that these Barkley comparisons that we got from AAC Media Day from Coach Messer, they're legit, folks. And by the way, Sierra Godbolt doing her thing as a freshman running the point is is the, her continued performance and consistency is my mind in my mind is going to be to their the key to their success. Bryson, you made the point if you're going to attack this group, it ain't going to be the post players that you go after unless you think you can outrun them, which good luck with that too. Destiny Thomas is faster than she's ever been as an athlete this year from what I've seen. You attack them through their guards right now and because that's where the lineup through numbers, not necessarily talent, is weakest. And listen, I like Maya Burns. She's a solid player. Uh, Layla Jewett, the same. Sierra Godbolt's doing her job. Um, but if Rachel Ranking's in and she's not hitting, the next option of who's going to come in, especially with Ashton, Ashton Verholt still out for, for the moment, as I understand it, it's it's a tough, it's the tough part of the lineup where they don't have the most bodies 
ready to go. And like, uh, like coach Messer said to, to us recently, they're just now, I think they're now a week and a half into having full practices because they have enough healthy players. So the, this group itself is still an unknown quality uh, quantity, Jeff, which is why it's tough to answer your question, but I think they could be a top three team in this, in this conference, a tough conference. Yeah. I think that the, it, that the health thing is really the one thing that they have to, that they have to monitor pretty tightly. Eric, I want to get your last word on this too, before we hey. wrap it up here, because, you know, I, I know you keep an eye on this, uh, on this conference and, um, it's weird. It, 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 I feel like I can't quite get a good feel on it this year. Well, do you have the net rank? I'm trying to find the net rankings on the way. I know it's this. Here's what we do know. South Florida's the team to beat. They're the team to beat. They've had a good non-conference. They're the heavy favorites. After that, I think it's kind of wide open. By the way, I'm sensing little Bryson-Kyle competition here on the women's hoops to see who Cynthia Messer will say the first name first. Will she say Kyle or Bryson at some point this year? I sense that little back-and-forth competition, gentlemen. I heard that. Holy macro reports that off camera. She's actually said my name. I just wasn't there to see it. So that's that you're too busy covering new year's day bowls and NFL playoffs. Being, that's why being, you're busy. Being a big time guy out here. Yeah, uh, South Florida, by the way, top team in the American, uh, in the net at 38. Uh, I'm trying to pull down here and see what I'll say. Two lanes at 63 right now. Yeah. Memphis at 72. Uh, SMU at 82, Tulsa at 84. It's probably a one. It's one, maybe two bits. Yeah, it's yeah. either a one or a two. Ben South Florida is the team to beat. Uh, we know with uh, Jose Fernandez, they always have a good team around. So uh, we'll see what happens, and we'll see how the women start in conference play here this weekend. But that's uh, you know they've they've had a little time ups and downs. So we'll see. I'm curious to see how they look in conference. Top yeah. three, bold by there, Kyle. Top three, that'd be big. Yeah, well, this, I, that's the ceiling. I'm not trying to say they're, they're going to take the entire conference, but if I'm wrong in my prediction and they continue to build, that, that chance is there. The, the, I, the only problem I have is their guards and their lack of availability and experience right now. But Nate Hutton's huge, Bryson, you're right. Oh, yeah, 22 points in the entire game. That fourth quarter, I that fourth quarter is going to stick in my mind for the rest of the season for her. It's a good standard. To, it's a good standard to set, though. It's a really good standard to set for her. Yeah, and I think the one player who I think is going to be key, we saw her finally enter the starting lineup just recently, Sierra Godbolt mm -hmm. at point. Uh, it's funny, you know, I saw KK Wright right after the last game against Texas Southern. She was at the game, sitting courtside, uh, as alumni do. And, uh, and and I couldn't help but notice, like, how similarly similar a game Sierra has to freshman KK. You know, it's a little, a, a little rough around the edges because she's a freshman. But man, can she defend? And she's probably going to be at least competitor to the for the uh, Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year at some point by the time she's done here at UCF. I really do think that. So, a uh, quick recap of the schedule: Tuesday, women's basketball at SMU, eight p.m. ESPN Plus. Wednesday, men's basketball, seven p.m. ESPN Plus. Saturday, women against Tulsa at home. Sunday, men versus SMU at home uh, as we get started here uh, on focusing really tightly in on basketball. We're going to be diving all in on basketball. And then as the spring sports get going, uh, baseball, softball right around the corner. Uh, Eric, I know you're warming up the, I, I know you're warming up the, uh, the, uh, the, the voice for that. 
That's right. A month away from softball season starting, a month away from baseball season starting. Who yep. will be the new UCF pitching coach? We don't know. They don't have one at this we recording. Know. We'll figure it Hopefully, out. Hopefully, other many plot lines. We're waiting for an offensive coordinator. Uh, so we, this is going to be a pretty busy, busy, uh, trust me, just because football season's ending. Yep. Uh, it does not mean it's going to be less busier. And we're going to be wearing our Big 12 hats on uh, on the 8th when you see uh, when uh, TCU plays Georgia. <laughs> no no hula bowl talk? I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, we do have the hula bowl coming up on the 14th as well at uh, at UCF as well. So that'll be really exciting to see. And, and a lot of former UCF guys playing in that game uh, as well, having a last hurrah on the really, field. Really quickly, Jeff, I have to ask, when you were observing Sarah Godbolt with her playing style, would you say that she battles? Oh, 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 man. Too soon. Hey, <laughs> hey, what's better? She's an Orlando native. She's one wow. of two she's one of two Florida natives on the entire team and she's the one from Orlando. The other Florida yep. native is from Riviera Beach. So, Sierra and, really had to really be in the hometown. And you know who right. else is an Orlando native? KK Wright. Hey. Just saying. Oh, snap. Just saying. All right. Well, thank you for thank you for listening here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can. So long as Twitter is still up and running, you see Banneret underscore SBN. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Got some great content. Well. Blackandgoldbanneret.com, Women's Soccer Year recap, volleyball recap, all going to be on the website. TV numbers, basketball, we got it all. Don't forget the transfer portal tracker, which Bryson has been diligently updating uh, as information comes in on comings and goings in the transfer portal. And of course, you can always follow us individually. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Uh, don't forget, Drew is at Stat Boy. Drew, Eric is at Eric Lopez. Elo, Bryson's at It's Bryson Turner. And of course, Kyle is at the SOTG for the student of the game. For all of us here at Black and Little Banneret, Happy New Year! Let's make it a good one in 2023 because there's a lot that's going to be happening the next six months, man. Let me tell you, we got a lot coming down the pike. It's going to start happening real quick. On behalf of all of us, Happy New Year. We'll see you later.